Welcome, Black, to the Teaching Wild Black podcast. I'm your host, Dre. I've taken a short break, but I'm back again to share more experiences of Black teachers. So since launching the Teaching Wild Black podcast at the end of June, we've garnered attention from listeners across the U.S., as well as listeners in Mexico, Italy, Kenya, Canada, and Germany. So shout out to our international listeners. We have today's guest, Dion Ward. Dion's a graduate of Judson High School. Don't worry, San Antonio listeners, we won't hold it against him. <laughs> <laughs> he earned his bachelor's degree in communication and social interaction from the University of Texas at San Antonio in December of 2009. After graduation, he obtained his teaching certificate um, and he's been in the classroom ever since. His teaching career started in the San Antonio Independent School District, teaching social studies at the sixth, seventh and eighth grade levels. And he taught in the AVID program. After three years in SEISD, he transitioned to Kirby Middle School in Judson, where he was once a student. Um, and in his time at Kirby, he's taught sixth, seventh, and eighth grade social studies courses, as well as sixth grade reading. So welcome, Dion. Hey. What else do you want the Teaching While Black family to know about you? Uh, I recently, just last week, um, got my master's degree in counseling. So I am now pursuing a career in school counseling, as well as I will be pursuing my LPC, my licensed professional counseling. So I plan on taking my national counseling exam pretty soon here. So congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your family. I have a family of six. We are a blended family. So I had two children from my previous marriage. Um, my wife, Brittany, she had one from her previous marriage. And then we got together like the Brady Bunch. Um, <laughs> we had one together. So we range from ages with the children, 14. We got two that are 14. We have a nine-year-old and then we have a three-year-old. Ooh, they keep you busy, don't they? Very, very busy. <laughs> and uh, teaching my black family, I actually met Dion through church and Brittany, his wife. I actually met her years ago, um, cheerleading in elementary school. So go Southeast Apaches for my San Antonio Apaches fam. See, right. They wouldn't let me play because I was overweight. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be a part of the Apaches, but I was too chubby. You they tried to make me lose weight. Oh, I couldn't be a part. Yeah, back when the weight class things were really a big deal back then. I feel yeah, like I had to go to the other league. Yeah, if I remember correctly, my little brother, he was always like right there. Mm. <laughs> right, right at the cusp. It's like um, y'all know I'm a big Golden Girls um uh, fan. So there's a episode where Sophia is coaching Little League. Well, I think it's actually Dorothy's coaching, but then Dorothy gets sick and Sophia has to coach. And there's this kid, he actually has the opposite problem. He's too small to mm. play on the team. And so um, we find out they play. I think they win the game, but at the end it's revealed, you know, well, how did he get to play? How did he meet the weight requirement? Shit stuffs like a big sausage or pastrami or something like that in him to let <laughs> him play. So I'm like, I, I don't know if teams still have um, those weight requirements, but they were something else. Yeah, it depends on the league, I think. Gotcha. All right. So um, did we mention you're also a musician? We did not mention that. Uh, you kind of mentioned that we met in church. But yeah, mm -hmm. I was uh, the lead musician at a church called New Covenant uh, Missionary Baptist Church. 
Um, and I've been a musician. I started playing at my father's church when I was 17 years old. And so actually, interestingly enough, I am actually transitioning out of uh, music ministry right now. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't. That's that's news. <laughs> they uh, at my church, they have put me over the youth department. OK, so that so makes sense. Working with the youth department. Your family is probably what a fourth of the youth department. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> I miss we it. do what we can do. <laughs> I was like us growing up, I swear we were, we had went to a very small church, true gospel. Mm -hmm. And um, I think our family literally had to be um, at least a third of um, the youth department. So I'm one of five. Oh, I know the feeling. My dad pastored a church called Eastwood and the church never grew more than about a hundred members. And so, yeah, I I was also that kid that had to do everything. I was taking up the offering. I was ushering. I was teaching Sunday school. Right, yeah. right. All right, so let's get into it. So, Dion, your bachelor's degree is actually in communications and social interaction. So why did you decide to become a teacher? Because I could. <laughs> Tell us more. Uh, uh, if I'm being very honest, Teaching was never a goal of mine growing up. Uh, when I got into college, I actually got to a point where I dropped out of college right. and I stopped going. And then I found out that I had my oldest daughter on the way and I was like, oh, okay, I got to get my life together now. Mm -hmm. So I ended up finishing my bachelor's degree. And then I had a really good friend who went through alternative certification about a year before I graduated. And honestly, I saw him do it heard what it took and I was like oh yeah I can do that now I've grown to love education since I've been in the field but if I'm being honest it was never like my intention to be a teacher at first right so knowing that teaching was never your intention it's very opposite for me right so I come from a really um I guess a, a long line of educators of varying backgrounds um being a teacher is like what I wanted to do, what I knew I was going to do. I was going to be a teacher. Um, but teaching is it's hard, right? It's a lot of work. I think that unless you're in the field, unless you've had the direct experiences with it, I'm not sure people fully understand what it takes to teach, um, especially yeah. in, in our current climates. What keeps you, what keeps you here? <laughs> I grew to love the interactions with the children like I grew to love making a difference uh you might not reach all of them but it's really crazy. especially with me being this is year 13 for me in education it's really cool to be at HEB and see a 20 something year old student walk up to you and be like hey you remember me Mr. Ward yeah I really like your class you don't necessarily know which ones you're impacting but you know there inevitably comes some that come to you and reach out and say, oh, you did this, or you you made me enjoy social studies, or you made me enjoy this. So that's a very rewarding feeling. So um, speaking of those you impact, is there a Black teacher who impacted your life specifically? Oh, that is a great question. Mm. I would actually have to say the only Black teacher that I remember having, but that was the first time that I remember having a Black teacher. I don't even really remember having a Black teacher like in high school. Really? Okay. So 
that's at least not one that impacted me. Let me say it like that. Gotcha. Not okay. one that I remember it impacted me. I might have had some. Somebody's gonna pull up my record from Jetson and say, "Oh yeah, you had one." But as far as the ones that I remember that impacted me like that, uh, I'll that's the name that comes to mind. So, what do you remember about her other than the fact that she was pretty? She was younger than all my other teachers, mm -hmm. and I know that's weird, but like you know, you're used to seeing these old wrinkled teachers, and she was actually young, kind of with the times, hip hop. She was just cool, right? And so it kind of showed me a different way that teachers could be. Like they don't have to be old and crabby and that kind of thing. So we're starting to get at the age where we're we're a little getting a little long in the tooth. <laughs> we are. Do you, do you think your students see you as like? old and wrinkly or do they see you as young and hip i am getting to the point where i'm becoming old and wrinkly when i first started teaching i would joke with my students all the time like they would say something crazy to me and i'd be like but i'm younger than your mama mm. i can't say that anymore right like i'm you know almost i'll be 40 in a few years so i'm actually at the point like i'm older than a lot of their parents and it's really weird also when i first started teaching i was literally the youngest person on campus those days are long, long gone so right. when i see people entering as a matter of fact interesting story this past summer i was sitting in a professional development for my district and there was a young lady who was sitting in the same class with me turns out not that long ago, she was actually walking the halls of Kirby while I was teaching. And this was her first year teaching. Mm. So that was crazy. Like, I used to have to tell you to stop running. And now you got your own classroom. Right. I, I've been feeling that this year. So, you know, this year is my first year as an assistant principal. And so I've moved, moved districts, moved schools. And um, it's the first time that I've been on a campus where I'm older than a great majority of the staff. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that is such a weird feeling when, um, you know, they'll make references to things like we're supposed to have a holiday party and um, it's it was going to be at a karaoke spot. And so I was asking, I managed two teams. So I asked one of my teams, hey, what song are we singing? And they just kind of glossed over my text about it. So I was like, OK, cool, cool, cool. I called a quick meeting at the end of a faculty meeting. Hey, uh, kinder team, I need to talk to y'all. So they're all looking like, hey, what we do, what we do. Um, I just want y'all to notice, I want y'all to know that I noticed that y'all didn't respond to my question <laughs> about the song. So one of the um uh, women gets up and she's like, oh, Miss Young, some some webby, some little boosty. And I was like, oh, I know none of anything. <laughs> she's, I mean, I know who these people are, sort of, but I, I don't know. I don't you know. You don't listen music, to them regularly. Like, yeah, I couldn't get up there and even fake it. So I was like, man, I'm old. <laughs> I'm old. I mean, you know, this is year 15 for me, 16 if you count uh, the year I substituted. So I'm like, man, I'm a real vet. <laughs> real vet. I don't know if you ever knew this, just a sidebar, but you were kind of an inspiration too. Um, because right around the time... Well, I guess I started teaching before I got to New Covenant, but then when I met you and figuring out you were an educator and you were working with the elementary kids and then you always tell the stories about how your classroom functioned and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just always thought that was really dope. So Aww. you were part of that inspiration team too, even if you didn't know it. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's good to hear. It's it's always, I think, um, good to hear when you 
you realize that like like you said earlier you're making an impact even when you don't know you are or that people yeah. are watching um even when sometimes your labor feels fruitless you know yes yeah um so on this podcast i strive to share the experiences of black educators and I want you to share with the listeners a teaching while black memorable moment. So it could be a good moment, a bad moment, an ugly moment that stands out most to you as a black teacher. Oh man. The one that immediately pops into my head actually doesn't deal a lot with me. Mm. It deals with a student. Uh, there was a young black girl and she came to school with her hair in an afro. You know, she just had her hair. She was wearing her hair natural. And I heard a white teacher comment, basically said, are you really going to wear your hair like that? You're not going to do anything with your hair. Mm. And I had to pull that baby aside and I let her know, like, yo, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Um you're beautiful the way you are and you're beautiful having your hair natural. And I also pull that teacher aside and let her know, like, I understand that you may not have been trying to be offensive, but that is very offensive because no one comes to you and tells you, you can't wear your natural hair and it doesn't look okay. Mm. And that moment kind of, it, it kind of gives me the reason for like, even wanting to be in, education especially with me going into counseling because i know that we are underrepresented especially minorities and sometimes our students have to deal with those microaggressions and things like that but i want them to feel like they have someone on their side somebody that's going to listen and not going to judge them because of the way they look and stuff like that and advocate that's the word i'm looking for right right that makes sense um i definitely appreciate not only you taking that child aside and you know lifting her up but also checking your your fellow colleagues I think um you know I don't think we have to be disrespectful about it I don't think we have to be aggressive about it but I think it is important to be a voice um and and when we see things or hear things that aren't right saying something so for me like that kind of reminded me this had nothing to do with hair but um it was the end of the year one year and the teachers we were tasked with um like putting classes together for the next year and so we're mm -hmm. sorting through folders and you know at that time I was at a school that was actually quite diverse you know um a lot of um like South Asian Southeast Asian Indian students students from um Pakistan have Nigerian students and so with that comes some unfamiliar names and I remember sitting in this room and you know one person was charged with calling out the names and you know, each time she butchered a name, she would laugh or make a joke about it. And I'm like, I'm I'm growing very uncomfortable. But in the moment, I'm like, young, just get through it. <laughs> just get yeah. through it. Just get through it. Because I could feel I was going to go off. But when I, I got myself together, I said, you know, we got to got to stop this, like making fun of their names. I'm very uncomfortable with this. This can't happen. I said, we're supposed to be the positive people in their lives. I know they're not here. But you, yeah. they hear this from other people. So we would, if kids were doing this, we would call it bullying. So and that stop energy it. travels. I it, believe that it that does. They travels. They know kids. Kids are not dumb. So um, it was an uncomfortable moment. I found out later another person in the room felt everything I was feeling, but didn't speak up. Um, interestingly enough, that person that was 
butchering those names and making fun. Um, she was actually someone on our leadership team. So mm. while while not a principal, not an assistant principal, but somebody who made decisions on our campus as part of the leadership team, it was just like you're adding to this this sort of culture um, and these microaggressions that we've been telling y'all about <laughs> all year. <laughs> like y'all are doing it too. So um, that person did later pull me aside and was very apologetic about it. But, you know, for me, it's like no one should have to tell you that it's not okay to make fun of these kids' names, which, by the way, um, when you hear their parents say their names, it's so beautiful to me. Like, I always I always feel, um, uh, I don't know, I would say the word is uncomfortable, but I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for, but um when you find a, a cultural name that you just know, like you're not doing it justice when you say it, I just feel yeah. like, ah, oh, I'm sorry that I, I don't say it as beautifully as mom and dad, but I do believe your name is beautiful. So I feel that way all the time. We don't have a high Indian population, but we have a very high Hispanic population. And I suck at rolling my R's. I try, <laughs> I try my very best to learn their names and say them, you know, how they want them said, but I already know, like, all that Spanish I took in high school and college and it did me no good at all. Yeah, that's that's my sister. Now, side note, you know, my name Andrea. I love when a Latino man says my name Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Exotic makes you sound exotic. I mean, makes me feel beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I know your uh your plan is to go into the field of counseling, school counseling. So tell me about why you decided that counseling was the route for you. And it was a district wide professional development for all of the counselors. So pretty much all of the counselors in the district were gathered together in the auditorium. I was pretty much the only black male in the building, and so that says a lot to me. We, uh, we did have uh, quite a few black females. Most of the counselors were. Hispanic, Hispanic females. Uh, there was very little representation from Black males. And so when I see that coupled with the fact of things happening like a lot of our Black children, specifically Black boys, getting unfair treatment in schools, like there's so many research articles that I've read about, you know, a Black child and a white child could be doing the exact same thing, but the Black child is going to be viewed more negatively. And I believe that's because we don't have representation. We don't have people that look like them who had those same experiences because being black is, it's an experience. Like it's, there's no way to really describe it to someone who's not black, you know, someone who's never had to face those microaggressions or got looked at crazy for just for walking in the store and stuff like that. So I also believe that mental health is something that is not pushed a lot in our community. There's a very big negative stigma when it comes to getting mental health. We quick to call somebody crazy, but won't tell them where to go get the help from. Right. So all of those things, it just makes me very passionate about wanting to help. And even in like all of my papers during grad school and stuff, the my target is to help low income, you know, minorities, those that I feel are underserviced. So that is why I really want to move into counseling. Okay. So what do you think we could do better to recruit um, Black counselors in our schools? Hmm. We need to let them know that there's really a need. I don't know if 
a lot of people understand that there is a need. I know grad school is a challenge. Like my program was a two-year program. It's a 60-hour program because it was for my school counseling and my LPC. And so I know I've even talked to a few people on my campus about getting into it. And it's a daunting task. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible, but you have to be focused. So I think just, you know, educating people on the need. I think sometimes we have to see it to believe it. So showing people facts and figures and showing them demographics and look, we have this many of this race on our campus, but we have nobody that looks like them. Right. And showing them, that, you know, that there's there's really a need for it. So that reminded me of, so I've, I've done therapy, um, personal counseling, right? And I remember the first round with it, you know, I, I decided like this was something I wanted to pursue. I just, I really needed to talk with someone. And so in looking for a counselor, you know, go through my insurance or my employee assistance program, they kind of, you tell them kind of what's going on. They pair you with someone. And um, so I go to my first session and it's this older white woman. I mean, like straight out the golden girls, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but she was super sweet. She would call me Suge. And um, I, she was nice. She was a nice lady. But when, as I began talking through what it was that really was bothering me, um, I felt really honestly that she couldn't relate. And um, that's no fault of her own, right? But they're just, like you said, being Black is an experience. And in that moment, some of my my challenges were dealing with who I was as a black woman and so um you know I I think I only saw her that one time I yeah. went I went back later but this time I was like okay okay they won't let me request specifically a black woman um but I'm gonna go through this list <laughs> what name what name might sound black then kind of kind of listen for the voice and then kind of google and trying to figure out because look I needed somebody that I felt I could relate to and that could relate to what it is that I needed um, help with. And I feel like that kind of translates into the schools, right? Where, you know, especially as you get to middle school and high school, where these Black boys are going to be experiencing a plethora of things that Black men deal with. Um, yes. and, and they need to see and speak to someone who um, looks like them, someone who understands. And even if they haven't directly experienced it, um, I feel like have a have a passion for their experiences or have a um have it what do you call it, an experience adjacent I just think uh we forget like people you know at the height of everything that happened with George Floyd I feel like that's when I really really started to tap into who I was as a black woman like yeah. I got angry I also at the same time heard a lot of people, oh, you know, we're all the same. We all bleed the same. Um, I said, no, that's that's not the point. Like the point is not that I I want to be looked at the same. We you might know? bleed the same, but black people bleed a lot more. <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're cut a lot more by this society. Yeah, I, I want people to acknowledge who I am, acknowledge my greatness, acknowledge my struggles. I don't want the dismissiveness that I think sometimes happens. Um, and also in the schools, you know, this is a real side note, but um, so you talked about like having somebody to advocate um, for you or um, just having people, having representation matters. 
So yeah. at, at a school I was at last year, um, there was a little girl that some of the teachers were, uh, they were just having like these little side comments about, right? And I'm like, mm. what, what's what's happening? What what What's the problem? They're like, well, she doesn't wear a bra. So, okay. It's elementary school, so that's a side note. In elementary, that's something challenged because kids are hitting puberty, right? Yeah. And so parents may or may not <laughs> see it and or acknowledge it. So um, anyway, the problem was is they felt like it was a cultural thing that this girl wasn't wearing a bra to school. And I said, who told y'all that? Who told y'all it was the fact that she was black is the reason that she doesn't <laughs> wear a bra to school? I said, I guarantee you if her black daddy knew she didn't wear a bra to school, she'd be in trouble. I said, could it just be that she forgot her bra? Could it be that? <laughs> they insisted. It was cultural. And I was like, mm, nah, I'm pretty sure it's not. But again, that's where it matters, like that you have people around that can speak up and say, Y'all shut up, y'all sound stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like even with the teacher I referenced in the story earlier, me and her have been co-partners. Like we both teach the same thing. So there are two teachers for every subject, pretty much at each grade level. And so we've talked together for most of the last 10 years, probably at least half of that. Mm-hmm. She's a very nice person. But she just didn't understand. Mm-hmm. She didn't understand what she did. Like, she didn't think there was anything wrong with it. And somebody had to educate her on the fact. And it's not all the time that the intentions are hostile. Mm-hmm. But even still, it still hurts the, the child. And somebody needs to be there to speak up for them. Right. Because I um once heard somebody say that impact is greater than intent. And so when I heard that, that really stuck with me because... While we our intentions may not have been malicious, um, if if it impacted a person maliciously or if they felt um, that you were being malicious, you still have to address that, right? So that teacher doesn't get to comment on her hair about you just gonna leave your hair like that, you, you know, <laughs> and yeah. then think, oh, oh, I didn't have any ill intent. But I mean, what honestly, what were your intentions though? Like that wasn't a positive comment in any any sense if you like you say if you walked up to her and was like hey you just gonna leave your hair you just gonna leave your hair like that yeah she would feel some kind of way so i don't know sometimes uh, you know sometimes when i hear i didn't mean it well what did you mean like because because that happened to me before right um last year had a teacher we we were having a conversation um as a team about something and a question came up I commented on that question and it got back that I brought up this situation that I was complaining about something and I said no actually it wasn't me it was brought up I agreed but it wasn't me right and so I brought it back to the team. I say, you know, I thought that when we as a team were having this conversation, this wasn't something that someone was going to go back and tattle about, yeah, right? Yeah. Like this was a safe space um, amongst our team. Oh, oh, I didn't mean it like that. I, I didn't mean I said, well, mm-hmm. what did you mean? Like, what, what was the benefit of you going back and saying, Young said this when Young didn't say that? <laughs> like, I get you're saying you didn't mean it, but what did you... 
like what were your intentions if you can't tell me what your positive intentions were don't don't know those were your intentions you what just was that quote you said earlier is uh impact is greater than intent so if you see that on my facebook later you know i'm like yeah. still in that i mm-hmm. like that yeah so you know i'm not above calling people out on it like no so what were your intentions because you don't get to just be like oh i didn't mean it well what did you mean tell me more <laughs> And that's what I love about you, because you are that person that would be like, oh, you didn't mean? Okay, what did you mean? Like, I can literally see you doing that, though. Yeah, because I just don't think people get to do stuff and then just say, oh, I didn't mean it. I, I, you know, early in my career, I would have left it alone. Um, I just think that we just keep giving people passes. And then, don't even get me started on people weaponizing their tears on top of that, well, I didn't mean it. And then they start crying. Ma'am, if anybody should be crying, it should be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a story for another day. <laughs> okay, so um, I will wrap it up for us. But what I what advice do you have for young black males that are looking to become teachers or even counselors? Look beyond your environment. Mm. Tell us more. Uh, and I say that because I work in a school that's economically disadvantaged. I believe um, something like 90% of mm-hmm. our students are uh, labeled as eco- economically disadvantaged and at risk. And so one of the big, biggest things I've seen, especially the last few years with a lot of my students, knowing that I've gone through grad school, is that they don't even know the process or they don't even really understand their own capabilities. A lot of them have not gone beyond their neighborhoods and their streets. You know, they don't have those opportunities to see other things that are out there. They don't have opportunities to see all the colleges that they can go to. They don't have opportunities to see the HBCUs and all these great resources. There there are people out there that will help pay for your education if you do your part. And so, my biggest advice to them would be to expand your your view, ex- expand your scope of things. Understand that you are not just limited to what you see around you. Right. And so that doesn't necessarily just pertain to education or counseling. That's in life in general. Like whatever you want to do, understand that it's way bigger than the neighborhood you came up in. Like I came up in a neighborhood um, called Sunrise. Sunrise is a a kind of rough neighborhood in San Antonio, as a matter of fact, the nickname was Gun Rocks. And so I had a lot of friends who were in the streets and I was actually talking to somebody about this the other day. I was actually really blessed to have friends who saw something in me and would only let me go so far. Mm. Like they would, they would let me do a little bit of the dirt, but they would let me go to the extreme way. Hey, <laughs> sorry. This is such a side note, but... <laughs> My sister always talks about how in like in the hood or in these hood movies, you've always got that like one kid that's protected, <laughs> right? So you know, like uh, Akila and the Bee. Yeah. I'm like, you're Akila. They wouldn't let you go. <laughs> they would... They're like, no, 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 no. Protect Dion at all costs. <laughs> and but that's real story, especially and it actually happened more so when I was a little bit older. Like I have a best friend 
uh, we stayed together for a while. And this was kind of during that time period where I had kind of given up on college. Like, I just wanted to go party and do everything I wanted to do. And, yeah, we did our share of partying, but there were just some things, you know, he was he was a little bit more in the streets than I was. And I would actually want to do those things. Like, you know, without giving too much away, like, I'm a broke college student or former college student. My friends are making money really, really quickly. I won't say exactly what they're doing. Mm -hmm. I wanted that quick money too, but you know, my friends are like, nah, dog, that ain't cheap. And I appreciate them for that. So, you know, I just want to give other black boys um, and girls the opportunity to know, like, there's a lot more than what you see in your neighborhood. I've actually done a lot of research on, you know, uh, Black females and how they're marginalized even more so than Black boys. Like, Black boys feel it as far as the law enforcement and stuff like that, but Black girls feel it as far as the lack of opportunities and the being overstepped and things like that. So, just for all of those, just let them know, like, yo, there's a lot more than what you see in these streets. Thank you so much, Dion, for joining us today for episode four of the Teaching Wild Black podcast. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to follow the Teaching Wild Black podcast on Twitter at teaching underscore black. If you have any questions, stories to share, or want to be a guest on the podcast, please send an email to teachingwhileblackpod at gmail.com. Until we're black at it again, this is your host, Dre, signing off. <laughs>